It is so good to be together this morning. I'm not sure if I introduced myself before. I think I did. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders here, uh, and we're going to be diving into Romans 6 this morning. Uh, I had the opportunity last week, I don't know if you guys have, I've only been to the movie theater maybe like, I don't know, six times in the last seven years. Uh, I don't know, we just don't go very much. But this last week, we ended up uh, going with my folks uh, to go see a movie called Jesus Revolution. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, It's kind of around the life of Greg Laurie and talks about a moment in the 70s where they're was a revolution. Some of you actually probably came to know Jesus during this time. I know it was that way for my dad, and so it was really sweet. Um, the first church that my dad ever was a part of was the church in uh, Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, under Chuck Smith, and so it was fun watching this movie uh, with my dad and with another friend who got baptized in Pirate's Cove, and it just was, it was neat. It was honest uh, for a Christian film. It was done shockingly well. Um, and sorry, it's just the truth, Uh, but there were a number of really beautiful, subtle things there, and one of the things that Pastor Chuck Smith would do regularly, he he would always focus on the power and authority of Scripture. He would hold up his Bible, and he would say, this is God's Word, and then he would say, let's read it together, and there's something subtle and powerful and beautiful about the reminder that God in his love has given us his word so that we might know him. And what's rad is it's, it's, it's even more than that. It's not just so that we would know God. It's also so that we would know ourselves. So that we would understand the world in which we live. Because we don't just need the Bible to know about God. We need the Bible to understand who I am. We need the Bible to understand What's going on in this world? And it's here. It's been given to us as a gift. And so, friends, let us once again bring ourselves before the Lord. So, God, we present ourselves to you, which is our spiritual act of worship. And we position ourselves under your word, not above it. And ask you to teach us this morning. Teach us about you. Teach us about us. Teach us about this world. Thank you that you are a good and gracious Father. That you are a good master. And that the fruits of obedience to you is the flourishing life. So Lord, we give you this morning, we present all of ourselves, we even just pause briefly. The anxiety, the worry, the heavy shoulders. zillion things on our to-do list, we bring them all to the sweet feet of Jesus. We're here to be with you, with one another this morning. 
you, Lord. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Romans 6, 12 through 23. Let's read it. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been freed from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A few weeks back, Eric taught verses 1 through 11. The main point was that we are to live our life in Christ, not in sin. That we are justified and that the power of sin and death was beaten when Jesus was crucified. And since we are justified by faith in Jesus, then it really does not make sense to treat sin as a master that pulls all the strings. Instead, we are able to serve our true master, Jesus, who actually broke the power of sin. This morning, we're going to continue to build off of this. We're going to look at areas that we're called not to do and areas of what we are called to do. But as we do, we must remember that everything we're talking about, it rests on the finished work of Jesus. Even as there is call and there is tension, and Eric talked about this as well, between grace and, and my doing, the role that we play, Paul walks this fine tension, this fine line that yes, it's all because God has made it possible through his son Jesus. And simultaneously, there is a call to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to live life under their new master. This passage is going to be, in some ways, maybe mildly or severely offensive 
to many of us because it reveals a condition for all humanity, and that's that all humanity are slaves. And ultimately what Paul will say is, we are slaves to whatever we are obedient to. But let's kind of chunk this thing out together. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14 really quick. Actually, probably not real quick. I should be careful with my language. Because verse 12, we could not move on from if we wanted to. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments or weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments or weapons for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. This section is a, could be and is actually a bit of a doozy. Verse 12 is very fascinating, and part of me thinks that we may not need to go any further than this. But what Paul has already communicated is that sin does not any longer have power to rule over you. That the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross destroys the power of sin. In the sense in which once sin was the domain in which I belonged to, and I was under the power of sin, I didn't have an option. But now, through Jesus, since we are justified through the finished work of, on the cross, as Jesus' blood was shed, as he received the wrath of God in our place, the power of sin and death is broken. And Christians, no longer, those who follow Jesus, have been released from serving sin. They do not have to serve that master any longer. And you might ask yourself, well, is Paul now saying that, like, Christians should be perfect from this moment forward? Is Paul saying that there will be no sin that exists in this world at all. No, he's not saying any of those things. And it's important that this section doesn't stop just in verse 12. But here, Paul's command is to not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not allow or give power to sin. So that you now have to obey its passions or its desires once again. This is right in line with what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4. About not giving the devil a foothold or giving an opportunity for the enemy. But what Paul's saying here is fascinating. The reality that he's saying is that actually sin has been, the power of sin has been destroyed. It no longer has to be your master. But his language here is fascinating in which, in some ways, 
says the only reason that sin will reign in your mortal bodies now is if you willfully give it power. This is what one commentator says about this term, reign. The use of term reign, it echoes its use in 514 and 17 and 21 to describe the reign of death and sin and implies what Paul says here should be understood in light of Adam by his trespass who introduced the reign of sin and death and Jesus by his righteous deed introduced the reign of life, grace and righteousness. Believers live at the overlap of these two ages, occupying bodies subject to sin and death, but united with Christ, who has broken the power of sin by his death on the cross. Believers should now not only understand and believe these truths, but now, Paul says, they should act on them. Do not allow sin to reign in your bodies. I'm just, it's challenging in some respects. Because if we look around and we're to ask the question honestly, I think we would say there, there's more sin that exists in my mortal body than I want it to. And so, if there's more sin that exists in my life than I want it to, does it mean that Jesus' death isn't good enough for me? Is it not sufficient enough for me? Is Jesus not powerful enough to overcome And this is why this is like in two parts with Paul. Paul has spent the last few chapters laying down the foundation of what is legally true. What is the reality? The reality is that you are justified by faith. You are declared righteous in the eyes of God. You are seen as holy. You are redeemed. You are adopted into the family as we'll see in Romans 8. These things are what is true. But there is this invitation now because these things are true to now begin to live a certain way. But I want us to see because I, I think sometimes we have a, I want to be careful with what I say here because I, I sometimes we can fall in lines of what actually um, some of Paul cri Paul's critics were accusing him of. And that's that living righteous lives don't actually matter because Jesus' death and resurrection are more than enough to cover all my multitude of sins. So I don't need to worry about living a life righteously following after God. All that I need to do is say yes to Jesus. And if I say yes to Jesus, I'm good. I'm in. And I do not think that sometimes 
we recognize the damage and the power that sin causes. The end of this section reminds us, and throughout it, the wages of sin is death. And that even for believers, sin in your life, even if you have Jesus, it still bears fruit. Destruction, hurt, and pain. I don't know why this is continuing to run through my brain, but I had a professor at Biola who reminded me that oftentimes growing up in church, um, we had a tendency to live our lives in a way in which it felt like we were passive participants with sin in the sense of like sin is just like kind of what, it's like an oopsie all the time. And he's like, this is actually just a, a, a really cowardly way to approach it. He's like, the reality is we are first degree sinners. We don't oopsie sin oftentimes. We purposely sin. And this is what Paul is challenging his listeners to, to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. That we must recognize the reality and the propensity towards these places. And so Paul's got some instruction for us as we continue to move forward. He reminds us the reality is that we were once dead in our transgressions and sins, but now have been brought from death to life. This is what's true. So now present your instrument or your weapon, your body, your person for righteousness. This is a command from Paul to use ourselves as weapons, as instruments for righteousness. This isn't about us being violent in any manner, but it is in line with us being in a battle that's one not just of flesh and blood. That as followers of Jesus, we're not just united into Jesus' death and resurrection. We're united into his purpose. Those who have been baptized, they belong to him and we also belong to his causes. Paul, just in case some of what he says here might, might seem like it's defeating or damning even. In verse 14, he shares with us, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Here, Paul, if you're wondering if Paul's going to walk down some really crazy legalistic spot, he's not. He continues to walk this tightrope. Paul declares, sin will not win. Because Jesus is victorious. Though you may struggle with sin in your life, you will not fail because Jesus has been victorious. And you are not under the law, but under grace. But how do we actually present ourselves as instruments or weapons for righteousness? And that's what we're going to look at in verses 15 through 19. What then are we to say because we are not under the law, but under grace? Sorry, are we to sin? By no means do we keep doing that. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one in whom you obey, either of sin, 
which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You guys recognize how many identity markers are here and from Paul. He's, he's continually declaring what's true and then inviting you into the tension and to living that reality out. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, but have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Because of the amazing grace and the effectiveness of the work that Jesus has done on the cross, the power of sin has been broken. We're not under the law any longer. But that does not mean that we can live however we want. One commentator says, freedom from sin and the law entails the domination of other powers, grace, righteousness, and God. What Paul is repeating over and over is that our king has changed. Sin is no longer our king. Jesus is. Sin has a way of dictating how we are to live, and so does Jesus. There's a famous song by Bob Dylan that might be ringing through your ears right now that you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to have to serve somebody. This is basically what Paul's saying. And some of it is offensive. He's saying that everyone is a slave. Either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And how do you figure out what you're a slave to? The question is, what do you obey? Or who do you obey? For fun's sake, what are, what are some of the masters that we are tempted to obey in our culture right now? Television, okay. Work. Money. Our phones. This thing. Feelings. Social media. Power. Huh? Pride? Pornography? Money? Toys? Hedonism? 
Paul over and over again repeats this. We were once enslaved to sin. That was our only option. And we were very obedient to those desires. However, the gospel and the gospel reality is that for those who have put their faith in Jesus, we no longer have to serve those masters. But this goes back to verse 12 of let sin not reign. That word reign is so important because it's this, it's actually like a kingly designation. And that even as followers of Jesus, we have the ability not to kick Jesus off the throne. That will never happen. He has ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But we can invite and give power to sin. Do we really believe that we do not have to serve these masters? It's like a, it's like a question I have for you and I. Do we believe that we really don't have to serve the master of entertainment? Do we really believe that we don't have to serve the master of fill-in-the-blank in your life? Or do we feel more enslaved to the ways and patterns of this world than we actually do to our king? are questions we have to answer. We may not like some of the realities that Paul puts in here, because he also, he doesn't give an option for a Christian who isn't a slave to God. I don't know that we like that. Like, Paul, could you say that another way, please? Can we say it in a way that makes me feel a little bit better about myself? And this is important for Paul as he's continuing to reveal who God is, who Jesus is, who we are, and how we are now called to live. N.T. Wright has this really neat uh, kind of, he, he writes out like a, more of like a, imaginary medieval like scenario where once he lived in this place probably in Scotland and and they were sitting under one lord and this lord was cruel and that this lord continued to ask them to do all of these things including fight for them in a battle sort of way and that whether or not he liked it or not he actually needed to obey that lord and if he didn't obey that lord then bad things would happen to him and then he's like, and then this scenario changes. And I finally realized that once while they were gone, that I didn't have to. There was another option. I didn't have to live under that any longer. And that a lord from a neighboring village came and brought him into his town. And he said, look, you're no longer part of this village. You're now part of this village. And I, even though I'm rescuing you out of that, it doesn't mean I'm bringing you here now that you can do whatever you want. I have a way of doing things here. Your lordship has transferred. Sin was once your Lord, now Jesus is. And Jesus does have a way in which we are called to live. But 
we will be a slave either to sin, which leads to death, or we will be a slave to God, which leads to life and righteousness. We have a tendency, at least I think oftentimes we have a tendency to have like an allergic reaction to the word obedience. Again, because we, we don't, when I have to be obedient to somebody else or something else, it means that I'm not in charge. I'm not the boss. And Paul minces no words. You are not the boss. And praise God for that. He says, we have become obedient to the heart out of good motives. Not to try and earn God's favor, but to live in response to God's goodness and obey what King Jesus has said. I love what Paul writes in Titus 2. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This language, I bring this up because this language talks about a process. So much of what Paul is talking about up to this point has been like the instantaneous declaration, justification that has taken place. And now Paul is beginning to move into the how then should I live piece that does require process. That we live in a place where we have this old body, yes, that was crucified with Jesus, but there's this lingering effect. And there is a retraining that needs to go on to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And friends, we have a tendency not to do that. We have a tendency to just try to keep moving along. oftentimes not so interested in being obedient to the king who has actually justified us. Paul is inviting those who call Jesus Lord to grow in obedience to their new king and master. But again, I keep coming back to the don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies because there still remains a question. Do you and I actually want to be obedient to our master? Do we actually want to be obedient to Jesus? And what I, what I want to present to you a little bit this morning is that I think the answer for most of us is yes, no, if we're to be honest. So many people don't like that. Yes, no. A while back, I spent a good amount of time with some friends who struggle with heroin. Um, in fact, we had two of them live with us for a few years. Don't know that I recommend that in hindsight. Uh, caring for, being with, just with young kids probably wasn't the wisest choice. 
But none of these guys really wanted to be addicted to heroin. enslaved to it. They obeyed it, even though they didn't want to. They hated that they stole money. They hated that they lied. They hated that they destroyed their family. However, they were unwilling to stop. They were unwilling to get the help that they needed. They were unwilling to change friend groups. They were unwilling to be obedient to anything other than heroin. This is an extreme example I know But I'm trying to exemplify what Paul is saying here. The things we are obedient to are the things that we are enslaved to. The things I spend my time, energy, money, and effort towards, those are the things in which I'm enslaved to. And oftentimes we enslave ourselves to things that we don't actually want to enslave ourselves to. One of the things Paul is saying is in this effort, in, in, in this passage, is that the same energy, time, and effort that you pursued in pursuing lawless things that you maybe didn't even want to serve as king, he's saying take that same energy and effort and apply it to living in righteousness, to growing as slaves of righteousness. Take every day as an opportunity not to get high, but to be about God's business, grace, righteousness, and peace. This isn't about removing lordship. It's about your lordship changing into where it is designed, and that is under King Jesus. But asking the question of what we are obedient to is one that we have to ask. The more time I spent with my friends... Maybe you would think that di- I've never done a drug in my life. Maybe that's a shocker to you. Or maybe you're like, yeah, it makes sense. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't, it was really hard for me to understand why these guys wanted to meet on Monday nights with me and Scott. I'm like, I've, I don't have anything to compare this to. Taking something like heroin in, and just, I just want you to know if, if you have a walk-through addiction, if you are currently addicted, You are welcome here. Because what I realized the more time I spent with my friends who struggled with addiction is that, yes, the manifestation of it was very, very different. But I, too, would find ways to numb myself. I, too, would find ways to escape. I, too, would find ways to try and leave this world, even if momentarily, so that I could escape to some form of pleasure, whether it was in entertainment or whether it was when I was younger in my struggle with pornography. I, too, could fall subject and pray to giving power to sin. And I sometimes struggled, just like them, to really believe that Jesus had broken the power of sin. And that I no longer had to serve that master, that I could serve a new one. A better one who produces life and right doing.
Just because we've come to know Jesus, it doesn't mean that we are immune from the damage of sinful choices that we've made. Praise God that we have a God who died on our behalf and forgives us and invites us to no longer be enslaved to sin or ruled by sin, but to become slaves of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this year we've talked about the desire for us to grow upward in our relationship with God. And part of growing upward is being honest in the areas where we are obedient and in the areas where we are disobedient. I think we all love to shout and jump up and down and declare, yes, praise God that I've been set free from this. But when it comes to living it out I think it's more of a struggle than we actually like to admit. And there is work to be done like we read in Titus. There is retraining that needs to be done. It is true, like Eric talked about, we are in Christ. We are united with him. This is what's true. That's why it doesn't make sense for rain to rule in our mortal bodies anymore. That's why it doesn't make sense for us to give power to sin. But we have to come to the reality and to terms that we often give sin an opportunity to take residence in our lives. And if we ignore it enough, it will begin to have more and more power. Not because Jesus isn't on the throne, but because we have become obedient our desires and passions rather than obedient to Jesus. And 1 John 1, 9 helps us with this through 2, 1. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an invitation to not bury our heads in the sand, but an invitation to openly lift our head. We now have, this is part of being free in Jesus, we can lift our head, we can see. We can choose righteousness through the power of the Spirit rather than unrighteousness. We can recognize the sin. We can recognize the false masters that we serve. And we, by God's grace, can confess those. And we can rejoice in what Paul has already declared, that you are justified. You are set free. You don't have to serve those masters any longer. But we do have to reckon with the reality. We also don't have the choice to live however we want to live. We have been transferred out of the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son where there really is a heavenly human king sitting on the heavenly throne. His name is Jesus. He is our king. And we were, when we were baptized into him, we weren't just baptized into his salvation. We were baptized into the life in the kingdom of God. And the fruit of our 
obeying this king is life now and life eternal. The fruit of obeying sin isn't just death eternal. It's even death now. Again, I think we, we lose the, fa- the, the truth that sin today, when I commit sin, it has an impact here and now. Praise God that it can be forgiven. Praise God that Jesus knows. But friends, I've got to say, and maybe this is just me too much in worship team. You guys can come up. I don't even know what we know we're obedient. I'm not sure we actually know what we're obedient. And I'm not, I'm not saying, like, I don't think we're confused about our doctrine. I don't think we're confused about, like, who is Jesus. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when it comes to the living out, the playing out of those theological realities. I grew up in the church And a lot of my growth was right on the heels of like a highly moralistic movement. And so there was a rebellion away from moralism, some of which was really good, but often the pendulum swung too far. And there was very little talk of actually being obedient to what God has revealed in his word. That's what Paul celebrates in this passage is is that The Roman church has begun to be obedient with right motive. They've they've listened to the gospel. They've responded, and it's demonstrated as the way they live their life. And I'm I'm not trying to be a downer by any means. I'm super, super grateful for what God is doing. I just believe there is greater invitation for us to step into the freedom that God has made possible through Jesus, where death truly does not have, excuse me, sin has no more power. And to experience that reality now. Some of you feel enslaved to pornography. Some of you feel enslaved to your work. Some of you feel enslaved to greed. Some of you feel enslaved to the American dream. Some of you feel enslaved to fill in the blank. You are a son or a daughter of the king. That is not what's actually true. What's true is that Jesus has rescued out of that village of pornography he has rescued you out of that village of the American dream. He's rescued you out of that, and he's, he's brought you into his kingdom where we get to begin to live these realities, but it does come with effort. And grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. There's an invitation to obedience. love what Paul does there's also this invitation like with vigor just as before you those of you who came to know Jesus later in life you might have a greater recollection in this but just as you vigorously made effort to your either addiction or to the sin that existed in your life take that effort that same effort now apply it to living lives of righteousness through the power of the spirit any of you who have struggled with addiction or know people who have, 
you know that it took a lot of effort for people to serve that master. What I want us to see is that through the Spirit, Paul and Jesus is calling us to, with similar effort, pursue righteousness. It does take effort. We do it not to earn. We do it to respond to the amazing reality that though we were once dead in our transgressions and sins, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to give you guys a moment to spend some time, perhaps. We're going to take like two minutes. This went longer than it should have. But I want to give us like two minutes right now to ask the question, God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to us what are the areas in which I am obeying a master other than you?